All right, well, let's get into uh, God's Word. Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Today is the last um, session of this series for the common good. It's actually week five already, which I can barely believe, to be honest. When we started this series, I really outlined three hopes. First of all, that we'd be educated, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. Secondly, that we'd be equipped, that we'd really start to understand how to use the gifts that God has given us or may want to give us. And thirdly, that we'd be encouraged as we really hear about what God can do and is likely to do and we see him doing in his word and we start to realise how we can be equipped in these things and actually start using them I wanted us to be encouraged as we actually start to see them operating for the glory of the Lord. And I think in many ways over the last four weeks, those those three hopes have been realised. People have been educated, they have been equipped, we have been encouraged. But I remember at the start saying that I also had just realistic expectations because I'm aware you've still got loads of questions and you're like, I hope he's going to answer them all this week. Well, I want you to know, I'm not going to answer them this week. It's just not going to happen. There's no way we can cover all of what the Bible says and all of what our cultural traditions say and about spiritual gifts. And so just this week, I've started lots of emails from folk, which I think is great. And in response to those emails, some of them I am going to get back to, but most of them I want to encourage you to buy books and read books. Otherwise, all I'm going to be doing is answering emails for the next three weeks. We need to be studiers and we need to be readers. And in these books are all the answers to every question I've had this week. So firstly, Delighting in the Trinity, an introduction to the Christian faith. If you want to study more on the Trinity, and in particular the person and work of the Holy Spirit, please buy this one by Michael Reeves. It's an outstanding book and as Brendan said a few weeks ago, I think this book helps us just with our love for God our grasp of who he is and how majestic he is. And it certainly, as I read it, just blew me away with God is far bigger than sometimes my puny brain gives him credit for. You start to realise how huge he is and majestic. So get that one. Paul, the Spirit and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Just an excellent introduction in some ways to the Holy Spirit and how through the writings of Paul, we actually see the Holy Spirit operating and relating to the Church of God. Great book. D.A. Carson, Showing the Spirit. So all those questions that I haven't got to in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. And they're like, is he going to get to them? No. So I want you to buy this one, Showing the Spirit, a theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. This will take you through in far more detail than I have. What does that mean then in the Greek? And how does that apply and how does that work? Excellent book. And then Sam Storms, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. Obviously I've highlighted three gifts in particular from 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, but there's another six. So this is a great book to read, to understand theologically. How do those spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 actually roll out and lay out? So please get them. You'll really enjoy them. So when we started this series, I had high hopes, but realistic expectations. But I have got one more roll of the dice today. And so if you want a title for today's message, I've called it Pursuing and Practicing Spiritual Gifts. And I want us to start just by reading one verse that I am to a large degree going to expose it but at the same time going to use it as a launch pad into this message. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1. Paul says this, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, 
especially that you may prophesy. Let's pray. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. And we do thank you for your faithfulness and kindness to us over the last four weeks. Lord, you have in grace opened our eyes to your word. Lord, we've been learning things. We've been sitting under your word, not sitting over it, dictating our traditional backgrounds and why we should prove them from scripture, but sitting under your word and saying, what does your word say about this? And I want to live my life in accordance with that. Lord, we thank you because that's an evidence of your grace, an evidence of your illuminating work and your care and concern for this church. And so today, Lord, would you continue to do the same? Would we encounter you? Would we learn? And with the whole aim of spiritual gifts being to ultimately point to the Saviour, would we learn how to pursue them and practice them then? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Over the last four weeks, we have covered an awful lot of ground in a short space of time. And so the very first week, Brendan did, I thought, a wonderful message on the Trinity and in particular took us to the personal work of the Holy Spirit. He had a real wide-angle lens, which is the remit that I gave him, to look at the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit's role. And we saw within that message how the Holy Spirit enlivens us, how he empowers us and how he illuminates, how he enlivens us. He literally gives us the faith to become a Christian. He opens our eyes to the glories of Calvary and brings us alive in Jesus Christ. He then empowers us. He brings us into the context of a local church. He gives us peace and faith and courage. He gives us all that we need to live out our lives as Christians for the glory of the Lord. And he also illuminates. And the real take-home thing from that message for me was just that wonderful packet illustration of the floodlight. That time when Joe Packer was walking around the corner, he was about to preach on John 16 verse 4 at a church. The whole verse, the, the point of the verse is, he shall glorify me. Jesus is saying that when I send the Holy Spirit, I will send one and he will glorify me. And Joe Packer walks around the corner of a church and being in Britain, it's dark by about four o'clock. So any evening service, it's dark. And so the floodlights are on the church and as he walks around the corner, he realises that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. The attention isn't on the floodlight. The attention is on something else, where the light is going. And that's exactly why the Holy Spirit came and what he does. He illuminates something else. And what that something else is, according to Jesus, is Jesus himself. That's exactly the Holy Spirit's role. So the Holy Spirit enlivens, he empowers, and he illuminates Jesus Christ for us. He shines a light on Jesus, his person and his work. Well, in week two then we started to put the narrow lens on and we looked at spiritual gifts. And we saw, I hope, that spiritual gifts are wide and diverse gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. We saw within that message, I think, how spiritual gifts are for today and given to all. This whole premise of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Everybody who's a Christian has at least one spiritual gift. I would argue they often have many spiritual gifts. But certainly everybody has gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given in grace, they're not earned, and they're given to all today. We saw how they spiritually gives us a supernaturally diverse, five lists in the New Testament, all indicating spiritual gifts, and how those lists by very nature aren't meant to be exhaustive, they're just illustrations. So one of the questions that's come back is, well, does that mean we just make up our own lists? Well, in a sense, yes. If that 
that gift points us to Jesus Christ. That is a spiritual gift. Praise God for that. They're not meant to be exhaustive lists. The point is that they're given though for a purpose and the way we can tell a spiritual gift is that when it is used, it is used in effect as our very own floodlight given to us by the Holy Spirit to point attention to Jesus Christ. And so in many ways all of us are walking around with flashlights given to us by the Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus Christ as a church. Different types of flashlights, different type of colours, different type of zones, but when you put them together, Jesus becomes glorified in our midst. They're given for the common good. So as we shine a light on Jesus Christ, the church is built. They're given for the common good. For the last two weeks then we looked at prophecy and tongues and healing Three gifts that can cause confusion, that can cause concern within that. And they're often misunderstood and confused and misapplied as a result of it. The big question I think it leaves us with though is this. It certainly left me with as I put this series together. By week five we've learned an awful lot of stuff. But I think the question is this. What then are we meant to do with it all now? Where do we go from here? How do we apply this? Do we apply this? Does it matter? See, here is, I think, what our greatest danger is. And if you come from a conservative evangelical background, here is by far your greatest danger. You could shake my hand at the end of week four and say, that was a wonderful theological lesson. Thank you. You've clarified for me what tongues are. You've clarified for me what healing is. You've clarified for me what prophecy is. Thank you. Amen. Goodbye. It is such a danger that we see this as just merely a theological or academic exercise and if that's all we do, that has been an absolute travesty because Paul's point or Paul's drive all the way through Corinthians, particularly 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, is not to fill our heads with biblical knowledge. It's to fill our church with biblically sound application. His emphasis all the way through is not, I just want you to understand it, Corinthians. Oh, thank you, you understand it. Okay, let's go home. I want you to understand it so you can apply it. I want you to grasp the truths of the spiritual gifts so that as a church we can now go away biblically sound and apply it in a biblically sound way. Which is why he keeps saying to us four times, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, which is the verse we started with today, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 39. Time and time again, Paul's point is great. Do you get it? Do you see? This is how they operate. This is why they operate. So earnestly desire them, church. Earnestly pursue these gifts. Go after these gifts and start to apply these gifts for the glory of the Lord so that as you brandish this floodlight and point it onto Jesus, your church will be built for the glory of the Lord. Do you see his point? His point is not head knowledge. His point is application. That's so important because it can be such a temptation to think, that is so helpful, and then go on and live our lives. James would say, you know what, you do that, you're like the man that looks at himself in the mirror and goes away and makes no changes and is unblessed because we're not blessed in our hearing, we're blessed in our doing, we're blessed in our application, we're blessed in how we proceed with these things. You know, that still does leave us though with the question of how, doesn't it? What does it look like to actually, in a hands-on way, pursue spiritual gifts? How do we actually practice these things? What are some handles for us 
that can really help us go about actually applying this in real life in 2013 in Sovereign Grace Church, Sydney. Well, that's what I want to answer today. I want us to look at the practice and pursuit of spiritual gifts. And I want us to look at, okay, well, in that pursuit of spiritual gifts, how do I do that? Help me see what that really means. Because we could even still run out the door, could we not, and go, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. How am I going to apply it? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Oh, amazing. How are you going to do that? I have no idea. And then you think, well, what's the point in there? So this message is meant to put some handles on what it really looks like to pursue spiritual gifts and what it looks like to practice spiritual gifts. So we've got six points, three points relating to the pursuit of spiritual gifts, three points relating to the practice of spiritual gifts. Let us start section one with the pursuit of spiritual gifts. Four times the Apostle Paul, under the divine inspiration of God himself, looks at you, Sovereign Grace Church, as individuals and commands you to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That's a command. We can't get around from that. We can't say, well, I just want to honour my mother and father. That's great. Same level of command, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. They're commands to us. Four times he repeats it in three chapters. Well, what does that look like? Well, three points. Here's the first thing. Here's here's the first thing I think should help us get a handle on what the pursuit of spiritual gifts actually looks like. Number one, it looks like giving ourselves to God's word. You want to know right up front what it looks like to actually pursue the spiritual gifts. Number one, it looks like giving ourselves to God's word. It looks like you, as an individual, pursuing spiritual gifts by actually giving yourself to Scripture, to reading Scripture, to studying the Bible, to meditating on God's Word. That's so important and a key part of the process. D.A. Carson in his book Showing the Spirit, right at the end, he says the following. It's a quote that I've already used, but I think now, three weeks on, you'll be more informed and it'll be more helpful. He says, We must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives. And pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. Well, amen for that. That's absolutely right. We must cry out to God for his power. We must pursue the Lord and and demand and command that in our local church we don't domesticate God as if he's, well, he's a nice guy, and he might turn up, he might not, but you know, well, we've got God's word. Don't domesticate God. He can step into our lives and step into our church and do wonderful things. And we want that for the glory of the Lord. We must dread all steps that aim to domesticate God. But, but such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. Amen for that. I totally agree with that. We must, as a local church, be eagerly desirous We must want to pursue the Lord and want him to presence himself with us through the means of spiritual gifts. But in all that, we must be confined by the Bible. We must be eagerly biblical. We must be constrained of the biblical discipline. I think I lived through the Toronto Blessing, so that was about 1994, 95, and our church was just having some crazy stuff go on. I was only 18, I wasn't a pastor, I was a dude in the church. I think one of the greatest challenges in that season was it was not confined by biblical criteria. So was some of that the Lord? Yes. Was some of it not? Yeah, some of it definitely wasn't. But in it all, the whole point of the spiritual gifts is to shine the light on Jesus Christ. That happened very early on. And then people tried to carry it on. 
and the manifestation of the Spirit became the spectacle. We became unconfined by the Bible, unbiblical in our practice and pursuit. It is so important that in our church, in Sovereign Grace Ministries, as we plant churches for the glory of the Lord in Australia, that all of our experience of the Lord is constrained by biblical criteria. And that makes sense. Because in the Bible we find out who God is and what he's about and how he operates. He's never going to contradict what he's already revealed in the scriptures. Bob Coughlin says it this way. He says, how do you get to see more of the spirit working in your life? Well, one of the big ways is to find out what the spirit has already done. And what he has already done is right here in God's word. It's 66 books detailing God's thoughts, his purposes, his heart, his plans, his commands, his promises, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he is going to do. It's all right here. We primarily get to know God through his word. That's how we really get to know him. But in his kindness, he also wants us to know him through our experience too. This is a great thing. But it is vital that all of our experience be governed by his word. My friends, that's so true. Who he is, what he's about, how he operates has to be governed by this. We sit under God's word. He is the one that instructs us how spiritual gifts are to be used, when they're to be used, how we're to go about it. We learn in this word who the Holy Spirit is. We learn about him, how he operates, his majesty, his splendour. How is it as a local church we can test prophecy? Well, the person giving it should be able to test it because the more they give themselves to this word, they're aware to realise in their own life, hang on, that's what what I sense there isn't even biblical because they're into their word. And we test it as a congregation because we think, oh, hang on, what they said there doesn't line up with James 2 verse 3. But the more we get into our word, the more we understand God's heart for things, the way he talks, the way he operates. So 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And every good work, I submit to you, Sovereign Grace, includes the practice of spiritual gifts. Every good work means the practice of spiritual gifts as well. So we have scripture right here that we give ourselves to and part of the good work we will come away with is an understanding of the spiritual gifts, how they operate and how they're meant to operate and God's heart in different situations at different times for different people. So right up front, pursuing the spiritual gifts looks like giving ourselves to God's word. Now, I think, again, this is where, if you come from a more conservative, evangelical point, this is where you stop and you go, Amen! Right, well, thanks for coming, but hang on a minute. There's more than that, because here's number two. It also looks like being persistent in prayer. And this is where the Pentecostals have a major upper hand. They pursue the Lord in prayer, and they are eagerly desirous and crying out to God, If you come from my background, you're going to be less biblically driven by nature. You just want to go to experience. Pentecostals understand that. But some of the weakness of of this experience, of people that that are just more biblically driven, is sometimes they don't want to experience at all. They just want to make sure it's right. And so they'll let the police on the back row with notebooks and, oh my gosh, that can't be right. You think, that's not going to help anybody. We need to be persistent in prayer. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who, fi- he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, there is a premise in Scripture of asking. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, would you give me that? Spiritual gifts are good gifts, right? He's saying, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Well, how do I do that? Well, be based in God's word, but then we need to ask. We need to go to him and say, Lord, would you give me that gift? In the ESV study Bible, at the bottom there in Matthew 7, it says, asking suggests how disciples should come to God in humility and conscious need. Seeking suggests connecting one's prayer with responsible action in pursuing the will of God. And knocking, listen, and knocking suggests perseverance. All disciples are to persist in prayer, confident that their Father will provide whatever is best for them according to his sovereign and gracious will. I love that. Spiritual gifts are good gifts that we need to be asking God for. But the whole premise of the way Jesus is saying that in Matthew 7 is, you know what, don't just think that the first time you ask, you're going to receive. The first time you seek, you're going to receive. You've got to keep knocking sometimes. Why does God do that? I have no idea, but he does. He's saying, you know, I want you to persevere in this. I want you to keep coming back. I want you to keep asking. In the Greek, it's written in, that, in, the, in the imperative sense. Um, so it basically means it, it, it's not just, okay, well, knock, and you're done. Oh, did I get it? No. Oh, never mind. It's, well, keep knocking. Keep doing this. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep asking. When it comes to the spiritual gifts, I hope this excites you, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit is just not done with you yet. Whether you be 18 or 80, there's more for you. The Holy Spirit has more things that he wants to give you, more gifts that he wants to give you so that you can shine a light ever increasingly on Jesus. That's why we're encouraged to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Paul isn't having a ha-ha moment. He's not saying, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Oh, this is funny. They already received them when they became Christians. No, his whole point is, there's more for you. So earnestly desire these things. Go after them. Pray for them. Base them on God's word, but ask the Lord for them. Oh, you didn't receive what you wanted? Well, keep asking. Keep knocking. Sovereign Grace, let me ask you this. When was the last time you prayed and asked God for spiritual gifts? When was the last time you got to your knees and said, Lord, Lord, would you give me then? And I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, would you give me the gift of tongues? Lord, would you give me the gift of prophecy? Lord, I, I see in your word time and time again, eagerly desire the gifts, especially that, I, that you may prophesy. So Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm asking, would you give me that gift? When's the last time you cried out like that and asked for that for the Lord? That's application. And that must be part of what we do. To earnestly desire something has that pursuit element to it. So we need to be asking. Folks, if it's been a while since you've asked the Lord for those things, well, ask him again. Ask him. Spend time praying to the Lord. Lord, would you give me this gift? Lord, help me. 
would you give me these gifts and, and these gifts and these gifts? And Lord, I trust in your sovereign will. But if it be your will, I would love these gifts. I'd love to operate them and use them for the glory of the Lord in my church. Pursuing spiritual gifts looks like giving ourselves to God's word. It looks like being persistent in prayer. Here's the third thing. It looks like developing the habit of listening and observing. To really pursue spiritual gifts... We have to give ourselves to God's word. That is what confines us. That's what gives us the contours of our charismatic theology. We want to be biblically and theologically driven in our pursuit and practice. Pursuit of spiritual gifts also involves being persistent in prayer, asking and seeking and knocking. But it is also vital that we develop the habit of listening and observing. Actually listening for God's voice. Actually awaiting his voice from God's word. And then as we go through our days, actually observing the opportunities that pass us time and time and time again, having spiritual eyes in a sense to see what is going on when we're with people for the glory of the Lord. You know, I can't take you to one place in scripture where this habit is explicitly stated. There's not like a verse that says, eagerly pursue the habit of listening and observing. It's not there. But I think what it is, is applied wisdom. What it is, is taking the fact that if we're praying to God, Lord, would you give me the gift of encouragement? And then we just crack on with our day and don't even remotely wait on him to say, okay, well, Lord, is there anybody you want me to encourage? Is there anybody you want me to give attention to? Is there any situations you want me to pursue today for your glory? We don't wait, do we? It's like if you go to the doctor and you say, doctor, the thing is I've got a really bad leg and it really hurts. Thanks. <laughs> That's odd. You know, do you want to listen for the answer? Do you want to wait? Actually listen to what he's saying to you or then being observant to the things around us. So I can't take you to a particular scripture where this is explicitly stated. I think it is applied wisdom, but it is illustrative for us in scripture. So in Acts 13 verse 2, for example, talks about when the elders gathered together in Antioch and it says while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. What did it look like in that moment for the Holy Spirit to speak into those elders? I have no idea. I don't know. Was it an audible voice? Don't know. Was it likely one of the guys actually feeling a sense of prophetic word into that situation? Probably. Could they have all experienced just a sense from the Lord at the same time as they gathered in prayer that they really should set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work of ministry? I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit communicated to them in this moment, but what I do know is that situation wouldn't have happened if they hadn't developed the habit of listening and observing. Something happened in that moment Whereas they cried out to God in prayer and worship and fasted and waited on the Lord, the Holy Spirit answered. And it was very clear to them all, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of ministry. Folks, this is so important. And to be honestly, if we can grasp this, then this simple habit, I think, can be absolutely life-changing. Seriously. It is a massive game-changer. When you have a congregation and you have a lifestyle of your own where you are actually waiting for the Lord and listening to the Lord and observing. It changes everything. 
And often I think we fail to see the Holy Spirit move in certain ways because although we ask for it, sometimes we don't even ask, but even if we ask, we just don't spend any time listening to him or observing. And I think in Sydney, nothing to do with spiritual gifts, but in Sydney, this is the fastest paced life I've ever experienced in my entire life. It doesn't lend itself to waiting. It lends itself to going. But we have to cultivate listening and observing. Here's what that means. Here's how it plays out. It means in our quiet times when we're with the Lord by ourselves and we spend time praying, which is a good thing, it means we also spend time listening. So we pray, Lord, would would you give me the gift of encouragement or would you give me the gift of hospitality? Lord, I, I want you to do that. In fact, Lord, is there anybody right now you just want to put on my heart because I'm not in a rush? Lord, as I'm praying for the church and praying for people in my life group, is there anybody you think would be good for me to focus on? Lord, I'm, I'm listening to you. It means when we gather together as a church for prayer and we come at 10.15 to, to pray behind there and we're giving ourselves to the Lord, we don't just want to be praying and praying and praying and asking. When we're not actually in prayer, I submit to you, we want to be listening. Okay, Lord, so I've got 15 minutes now. I'm in no rush. Is there anything you want to use me for this morning to contribute? Is there anybody in the congregation you want me to encourage? Is there anybody you think it would be good for us to have back for dinner or lunch? Because, Lord, we want to be used by you. We want to use these spiritual gifts for you. Before we attend the life group or we attend meeting with friends, we, we cry out to God for grace, but then we listen. Okay, Lord, is there anything you want to put on my heart to encourage them with today? To help them with? to encourage them. Do you see how important it is? Spending time listening. And it's also important then that we develop our lifestyle around observing. So we don't just come to church asking God that we may have the gift of encouragement and then just pile out and all get on with it. We say, you know, okay Lord, so the meeting's about to finish. Lord, who do you want me to encourage? And then we have eyes wide open and we start noticing people. And we just have a sense, well I'm going to go encourage them. I'm going to go encourage them. I'm going to go encourage them. Lord, who would you like me to have over for lunch because you seem to give me the gift of hospitality? Okay, Lord. Well, you know what? I, I just think the Lord's put them on my heart, so I'm going to go and ask them. Do you see how this changes your life? This is a totally different way of living. When Paul says living in the Spirit, I think it's this type of thing he's talking about. It's that sense of you know, being continual in prayer. And you think, how do you do that? He's talking about a lifestyle where you're doing life with Jesus. You're praying to him throughout the day. You're listening to him throughout the day. You're observing life unfolding and you're not just asking for gifts, but you're saying, okay, Lord, let's start applying some of these things then. Help me to start using some of these things, not just on a Sunday or in a life group, but all of my life to encourage the common good. What does it look like to pursue spiritual gifts? I think that's what it looks like. It looks like giving ourselves to God's word It looks like being persistent in prayer and it looks like developing the habit of listening and observing. Folks, I really want to encourage you to do that. Otherwise, in some ways, this whole series would have been an absolute waste because all I've done is taught you theology. Whereas Paul's heart is to teach you application. Let's do this then. Eagerly desire the gifts. Okay, that's a command. How do I do that? Well, I've just told you. Okay, Lord, I've got to think about my life and how I can make that a practice, how I can make that a reality for the glory of the Lord. Well, what about the practice then of spiritual gifts? 
what are some helpful handles that we might be able to put on the actual practice of them? So assuming that we are pursuing them, we're asking God for them, we're developing a habit of listening and observing, we want to be used by the Lord, we want to ensure that our use of gifts and practice of gifts is biblically, theologically accurate and the contours of our charismatic theology are shaped by God's word. Well, how then do we practice them? Well, here's three, I think, helpful handles. There's so many things you could say, but here's three things that I trust will serve you well. Number one, don't just think Sunday mornings. Think family. This is so important. Do not just think, oh, we're gathering together as a church. It's spiritual gifts time. And then for the rest of the week, 99% of the week's left. We don't even engage with spiritual gifts. Don't just think Sunday mornings, think family. See, Sundays are, I would say unquestionably, the best day of the week. Because they're the day when we gather as a local church. They're the day that the scripture talks about where we gather corporately and we experience the Lord together. They're the day where we gather together and worship God together. They're the day when we hear the word of God proclaimed and taught to us. They're the day when we gather and find ourselves built together ever increasingly in our mission as a local church. They are incredible days when God's people gather together. It is a profound thing as biblically defined, and experientially it's a profound thing as well. Sundays are the best day of the week when we gather together as a church. It is the best day. I usually spend most of my Sunday with, with this local church and then with people throughout the day and doing things in the evening. By the time I go to bed, I am utterly spent, utterly exhausted and smiling. Because they're great days. They're great days. Gathering with God's people is an absolute incredible, incredible moment of the week. The best day of the week. And the reality is, it's not only a great day because it's when we, hear, when we worship together and hear the word proclaimed together and get realigned in our mission together as a local church. It's a great day because God is clearly pleased to reveal his active presence in our corporate gatherings in a way that we often don't experience privately, do we? It's different. There is something tangibly different when God's people gather together to when I'm just by myself in the week. Donald Whitney says it this way. I think it's brilliant. He says, God will manifest his presence to you in congregational worship in ways you can never know, even in the most glorious secret worship. That's because you're not only a temple of God as an individual, But the Bible says, and far more often, that Christians collectively are God's temple. God manifests his presence in different ways to the living stones of his temple when they are gathered than he does to them when they are apart. That is so true. And I have to say, looking back on my life, the moments when I have sensed God's active presence the most, I do on occasions experience it privately, but the most memorable experiences are actually in the gathered church. They're when you're singing or you're hearing the preached word or you're observing people at the end of the meeting and you just sense the Lord at work. There is something unique and special going on. When you're crying out to God in song and nobody needs to say a word, but you are just in the right sense in the heavenly realms. You're just so excited about Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is fully at work in those moments. It's not just because you've had a good religious week. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, shining a light and burning a light into your heart where you're seeing Jesus Christ oh so clearly. Yourself in light of that. 
You know, that's why we encourage folk to be committed to our Sunday morning gatherings. Sunday morning gatherings are so important. We hear the word of God. We experience God. We worship God. We gather together in mission. We gather together in fellowship. We gather together to use our gifts and abilities, our spiritual gifts to build up the church together. We don't want to be missing that then because this week we just fancied going around Ikea. We don't want to be doing that. It's ridiculous. It's a travesty. In light of Scripture, when you see how glorious the Sunday gathering is, that it is to gather with God's people and that God brings himself into that and speaks into that, we don't want to be missing it on a whim. That doesn't mean we can't miss it. We have holidays, sure. There may be a strategic evangelistic opportunity, sure. But other things, I would say for me and my home, no. No. So our kids, you know, our kids, one of the things that doesn't happen in the UK is kids don't usually get invited to parties on a Sunday in the UK. It's usually Saturdays. Here, everybody has their parties on Sunday. So our kids get invited to parties every week. I'm not saying you have to do this, but for me, we say, kids, as for me and my home, we give ourselves to the Lord on Sundays. And the answer that I often get back is, but Dad, it's a party. Yes, but God is the ruler of all. Dad, you're only saying this because you're a pastor. <laughs> no, I'm saying this because I'm a Christian. And there is nothing more important than gathering with God's people, kids. And that's what we do. We give ourselves to those things. So does it mean we can't miss it? No, it's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is Sundays, really, by and large, I think become non-negotiable things because it's when we gather with God's people. We hear his word. We, we hear the worship of God's word. We spend time in fellowship. We, we interact with one another. God presences himself when we're with God's people. I don't want to be missing that. I don't want to bring my kids out of that because they've got some you know, little run of one mile with little Johnny. Well, do it on another day or you're not going. Because I want you to be impacted by God today. And that's what happens when we gather. Don't want you to miss that. That's why also we encourage people to be on time. Sovereign Grace, please be on time. It's important. Seriously. Because how gutted are you going to be if God decides to manifest himself at 10.32 and you don't arrive till 10.40? How disturbing is it going to be if at 10.32 God wanted to use you prophetically? But he couldn't because you were brushing your hair and running late. You know, in light of Scripture... The Sunday gathering is so important. I really want to encourage you, just honestly as a pastor, and you know I love you, and you're commanded to love me, so it's good. <laughs> I, would, I would honestly encourage you, if you're later than 10.15, you're late. Because I think that 15 minutes where we can steady our souls ready to worship the Lord, where we can cry out to God and say, Lord, you know what? Do you want to use me today prophetically? Your word calls me to earnestly desire the Spirit because especially in my prophecy. So Lord, I'm here if you want to speak to me. And Lord, while I'm here for 15 minutes, I'm going to give myself to encouraging people and spending time with them or welcoming visitors. That's so important. It's so important that we don't fudge on those things. It is, it's so sad when you, when you see people just running in and they're late and you think, look, I have a category for that. It happens sometimes. But regularly... If you were meeting the Queen at 10.30, would you come in at 10.40? Well, no, it's the Queen. This is God. This is the maker of heaven and earth. 
I want to be ready to sing to him and encounter him. Sunday mornings are the best day of the week and absolutely vital. They are moments when we come together to use our spiritual gifts. But all that said, when it comes to the practice of spiritual gifts, I want you to encourage you, don't just think Sunday mornings. Think family. Sunday mornings are unique, as I've just expressed. They're incredible moments where God can insert himself and we want to be waiting on the Lord specifically with regards to Sunday mornings. But if that's all we think when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're looking at 1% of our week time-wise. But when you think family, that changes the dynamic. So you have the gift of encouragement. You have the gift of hospitality. That's great. Don't just use them on a Sunday morning. Don't just think, well, I serve on the coffee team, so that, that gift's sorted. What? Really? No, we're family. So how can we use that gift throughout the week? You have the gift of encouragement. You say, well, Dave, but I just don't see people. Sure, but you can email people, you can text people, you can call people, you can let them know I'm praying for you. You can do that all the time, all the week. And I've seen those gifts incredibly used across our church in exactly that way. You have the gift of administration. You think, well, I don't know how I'm ever going to use it here because we've got Alison, she's an amazing administrator, so there's nothing for me to do. You, you let me know you've got that gift. I'll give you something to do, Okay. I don't want anybody in this church thinking, I think I have this gift, but I don't know how to use it. You let me know your gift, I'll let you know how to use it. There are so many things we could be doing, but we just cannot because we're often time poor and we're unaware of where people want to take things forward. I was speaking to somebody recently and they said, you know, I've just got a real heart to see ESL go. Would that be okay? And I'm like, it'd be fantastic. Absolutely love it. Let me know how much you need, when it's going to be. Let's do these things. You know, great. Don't wait for me. I have spiritual gifts. They're like about this big, okay? As a church, we have spiritual gifts way big. That is the entire stage. But we have to come forward. Part of my spiritual gift as a senior pastor is to equip the saints who works of ministry. And part of equipping the saints who works of ministry is putting people in the right places so the church can go forward. So let me know. If you've got some gifts that you feel, oh, I think I'm being underused. Oh, let me know. I will use you. <laughs> we will move forward. Sometimes when you chat to folk, you know, they think they've got a gift and sadly they haven't. It's a bit like the X Factor, you know, I really think I've got the gift of singing and they sing and you're like, who told you that? Oh, my mum. And you're like, your mum's deaf. You know, so there is a time when you think, you know, you may think you have a gift and you don't, but, but it would be good to explore it and pursue it. But don't just think Sunday mornings, church. We mustn't. Think life group. Think across the whole board. We want to be using our spiritual gifts for the common good to shine Jesus Christ on people all the time. You know, so if I have the gift of teaching, which I, I hope I do because I teach, um, you, you don't just at the end of Sunday morning think, okay, I'm going home in the car now with the kids. It's not a time to teach. Or, we teach people all the time. As soon as we open our mouth, we're teaching. Oh, but I don't really have a role in the church, Dave. It doesn't matter, to be honest. If you're a good teacher, you will be doing it all the time and it will be evident to all and then we can find things for you to do. But it'll be there. All right. So don't just think Sunday mornings. Think family. Number two, second practice. Be willing to take risks. (laughs) This is really important and really scary. But we have to be willing to take risks. Otherwise, it's a game stopper. I think the greatest danger, as I said before, is that we think of spiritual gifts merely theologically and academically and we look at these four weeks as just a theological or academic exercise and say thanks very much and make no changes. But the second greatest danger is, I think, allowing fears to keep us from stepping out in faith. And we all do it. 
So you really don't need to get a life group this week and say, oh, I think that was me. I think it's all of us. If I was to say to you this morning, great, well, I just want three people to prophesy now, so if you could make your way to the mic. Most of us would be thinking, oh no. Why would we be thinking, oh no? Well, one, because it would be an unbiblical way of going about it. But also, there would be a fear of failure. What if I say something that is utterly stupid? Or I say it wrong? And married with that fear of failure is the fear of man. What will people think? What will people think if I wake my way to that microphone and then I chat to Brendan and Brendan says, thanks very much, but we probably won't use that this week. And I have to make the walk of shame back to my seat. People will see me. They will think I was going to say something stupid. We all fear those things. And even if we get past the mighty Brendan Willis and we actually get to the mic... We're fearful that if I say something so stupid that clearly wasn't prophetic, what are all these people going to think? If we stay fearful of failure and fearful of man, there will be a whole raft of spiritual gifts that we will never see in this church. Because fear stopped us. What if we're wrong? What will people think? All spiritual gifts take by very nature, some more than others, so you see, when you get onto prophecy and tongues and interpretation, I think, yeah, that's pretty full on and really don't want to be bodging too much. They require a risk factor of us giving it a go. They do. There's no way around that. Wayne Grudem, in his book Systematic Theology, talks about his own experiences in this. I really like it. He says, if you desire to cultivate the spiritual gifts, then firstly you must be convinced that the Bible teaches the gifts are for today and that they are important. Otherwise, you won't have faith to exercise them or pray for them. Likewise, you must be confident that the gifts are given to all Christians rather than just a few specifically deserving people. He says, once I came to these two conclusions, I was in a place to begin to cultivate the gifts in my own life. As soon as I was convinced that the scriptures taught the gifts of the Spirit of today, I began to pursue them diligently. The most important thing I've done in pursuing the gifts has been to pray very specifically for the gifts I felt the Lord wanted to give me. Probably the second most valuable thing I've done in my pursuit of the spiritual gifts is that I've attempted to use them on a regular basis. More often than not, this involves some risk and specifically the risk of looking foolish. Almost as soon as I began to ask God to give me the gift of healing, I began to pray for sick people. But most of the sick people I prayed for at first did not get healed. When I first began to give words of knowledge in public, I also had some embarrassing moments can only imagine what they would have been. But there is no other way to grow in anything apart from constant practice and risking. Friends, that's true. Greatest danger for us is we just think of this as an academic and theological exercise and do nothing. Second greatest danger is we really pursue them, but then because of fear, we never use them. We have to be willing to brandish faith. We have to be willing to understand, okay, Lord, I've prayed. Okay, I have the sense that this is what you want to do. I'm going to give it a go. There has to be that sense of, let's give it a go. And here's the thing. If you're you're fearful of failing, let me give you a clue. You will. We all will. 
There will be some things happening in sovereign grace over time as we're, as we're seeking to practice these and operate in these, these, these things. There'll be things happening in your life group that you think, oh, that probably wasn't the best, wasn't it? That's okay. It's okay. We shouldn't pretend and hide behind, oh, it might never happen. It might. But you know what? If you, here's my heart, and I want it to be the heart of our whole church. If you're willing to give it a go, even if you said something where I thought, you know what, I think that might have been for you rather than them, I'm so proud of you giving it a go. I'm totally proud of you giving it a go. Because that's what it's about. It's about taking risks and thinking, okay, well, let's try. Let's try and fan this into flame. Let's try and stir this amongst us. We're all trying to eagerly desire the gift. We're all trying to learn how they work. Well, let's try. Let's give these things a go. And if we're biblically defined, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? The worst thing that's going to happen is somebody goes away having heard a nice piece of the Bible. Well, that's not so bad. I thought I had the gift of hospitality, but I burned the chips. Never mind. It's okay. Give it a go. Let's try these things. We have to be willing to take risks. And thirdly, a third practice that I think is so important is that in both the pursuit and practice of the spiritual gifts, we let our motivation be love. In both the pursuit and practice of the spiritual gifts, we let our motivation be love. And that does, I think take us all the way back to where we started this series in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Pursue love, he says, verse, verse 1 of chapter 14. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Pursue love. The jewel in the crown of all of these chapters is chapter 13. It's entitled, The Way of Love. And it is not accidentally put there. Because Paul wants the Corinthians to understand as you pursue and practice and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts and as you pursue and practice them for the glory of the Lord by shining a light on Jesus Christ, let your motivation be love. Let your motivation be those around you who you dearly love. That's where the Corinthians got it wrong. They were seeing the spiritual gifts well used in their church. They're pumping them out. I mean, I wish we could go in part. I wish we could see them because we'd go, oh, that's, that's that. Did you see that? And yeah, it was probably not very helpful the way they shouted it out, but you know, it's pretty good. That, that's what that gift looks like. And so he's trying to confine them as to how to use them biblically as defined. But in the right sense, he's also saying, listen, I love the way you're pursuing these gifts and I love the way in part you're practicing these gifts. We need to create some order to these things. But your love for the Saviour and faith and expectation that he will use you is amazing. But the problem is you're using these gifts to draw attention to yourself. You're using these gifts like badges. You're letting everybody know, well, just to you know, my, my name's John and I have a prophetic ministry. And, and yes, it's been coming for some years. And, and Before they're even saying anything, you're like, what are you doing? They're using these gifts to draw attention to themselves. And Paul's saying, I want you to use these gifts, but I want you to use these gifts to draw attention to Christ and I want your motivation to be love for other people. Not you. He could have easily just said, Corinthians, stop it. Okay, let's tell people about Christ. Could have. Doesn't. He wants them to keep using their spiritual gifts, but he wants them to use it in an orderly way and he wants to let their motivation be love. Well, Sovereign Grace, I want the same for you. So you may get to the end of this series and think, 
But I'm still nervous about earnestly desiring the spiritual gifts and pursuing the spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul would look you in your eye and say, that is the most unloving thing I've ever heard. Because if you really love the people around you, you must pursue the spiritual gifts. Because God will give you gifts and you will be able to shine a light on Jesus in a unique way that nobody else will be able to do in exactly the same way in the church. This church and those around you, your brothers and sisters, need you. So love people enough to pursue them. Isn't that wonderful? The motivation in all of this is love those people around you. You know, this is one of the most loving churches I've ever come across in my life. I love your affection towards each other. I do. Let that motivate you then to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Let it motivate you to overcome fears, to think, I need to do this. Oh, I'm nervous if I get it wrong. Well, let's give it a go. Let's try. You know, I would hope that we be a church that earnestly pursues the spiritual gifts. And I would hope that we be a church that faithfully practices the spiritual gifts. It's not going to be what defines us. I want the gospel to define us. I want Christ and him crucified to be what Sovereign Grace Church Sydney is known for. Applying and knowing and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But as a part of that application, we do want to be a people who pursue and practice the spiritual gifts. And here's my hope in it all. Gordon Fee. A genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective will not isolate the spirit in such a way that spiritual gifts and spirit phenomena take pride of place in the church, resulting in churches that are either charismatic or otherwise. Rather, a genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective will cause the church to be more vitally Trinitarian, not only in its theology, but in its life and spirituality as well. This will mean not the exaltation of the spirit, but the exaltation of God. And it will mean focus not on the Spirit as such, but on the Son, crucified and risen, Saviour and Lord of all. That's my hope, that our gaze as a church through the practice and pursuit of spiritual gifts would be ever increasingly on the risen Saviour. That's my hope. And would that then be our aim? Let's pray. Lord, how kind you are that you would not only save us, that you would not only then knit us together into the context of a local church, but you would then shower us with spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts given for the common good so that we may be able to see the risen Saviour more and more in our lives. Oh Lord, would you give us then the confidence and the faith then to pursue spiritual gifts? Lord, would we be a people of your word and a people of prayer and a people who listen and observe your work? Lord, would you give us grace then to practice these gifts? Would this be a church where for your glory people are coming one by one and laying their gifts on the altar of the local church? The gift of encouragement, the gift of administration, the gift of leadership, the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing the gift of tongues and interpretation, the gift of hospitality and care and serving and helping. Lord, would we be built up in you as we use our spiritual gifts. 
and in and through that all, would all focus and all gaze go to you. Lord, we want you to be the apple of our heart. And so would we use these gifts to flood like you. And would you become ever greater in our eyes. In Jesus' name.